Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for market intel, forecasts, and strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Bull. Thank you for being with us. This segment is brought to you by C5 Plus CCIM Global Summit. It is September 28th to September 30th, and it's in Atlanta, my hometown. It is three days of networking, learning, and investing. This is a big, there's a lot of great speakers here. Go to this website and check out the speakers. It's unbelievable. Uh, the website is c5summit.realestate. I remembered it for you guys. All right. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Well, we've got a great show for you today. You know, we hear from economists, we hear from analysts, and we see what's going on. You know, sometimes that's a little delayed, right? What are we seeing today from the front line? Well, today we have one of the biggest developers and ownership groups in the country, especially in the Southeast here. Please welcome my guest, Robert Holder. He's CEO and Will Minkus, and he's president both of Holder Properties. Gentlemen, thanks for being here. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us, Michael. And you guys have lots of different sectors and property types. You've got a long history at your company of ownership and properties in, in office and student and multi and, and, and pretty much everything. What sector are you guys really gravitating toward right now where we are today? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so, you know, I think we've we've really spent a lot of time more recently in the in the office and student housing space. We're exploring a couple other property types that we'll kind of touch on here today. But but really the one out of those two is, is student housing. We spent a lot of time in student housing. We got into it about 15 years ago. We've developed and, and currently manage a, a couple thousand beds. Um, here in the southeast so you know it's, it's an area that we've really liked it's an area that's done exceptionally well over that 15 years it sort of went from a, a very niche asset class to a very you know established and and um, exciting property type where there's a lot of liquidity going into it so that's you know we're, we're fortunate that we got into it about 15 years ago and it's done really well for us is it a little bit harder property type to to manage than than others i assume it's a little tougher than regular apartments yeah i think you know, everybody turns over at the same time, which makes it pretty tough. We've got a, a very short window of a couple of weeks. And, you know, in some cases, people want to move in early. So you have even less time than that. But, you know, everybody moves in at the same time. The leasing kind of all happens at the same time. So you don't really get to capture, you know, rental growth like you do in multifamily on a on a rolling basis. So, you know, the, the logistics of all that is challenging. Obviously, you know, having kids that are 18 to 22 in your in your property, in many cases, sort of the first time living on their own, there's maybe a little bit more maintenance that goes into it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, those are really the, the primary challenges that, that we see. It's really just the logistics around moving everybody in and out once per year in a two week period. Yeah. And when I think of holder properties, I think mainly new development. So you guys are doing more new development or acquisition of existing properties these days? Yes, we've spent the last five or six years really trying to build out our, our acquisitions business. I think, mm -hmm. you know, the development side of the business is great. It's something that we've done it's pretty much been the primary source of our business for 35 years. Um, but over the last five or six, like I said, we're trying to build out the acquisitions business really as a complement to our development business. I think, you know, we look at every property individually, but really that it goes in waves and it's very cyclical. So certain property types will be out of favor and it won't make any sense to develop at certain times and certain ones will. So, you know, we wanted to have the acquisition business so we don't run into a period of multiple years of just not being able to find 
anything on the development side that pencils. So now we can kind of play in any type of market environment. Yeah, that makes sense. I do think they play off of each other too, mm -hmm. in the sense that if you're a great builder, I think, and you know, you have an investment-oriented mindset, you know, you can also be a great buyer, and they inform each other, and you know, you just sort of gain experience in each that really sort of feeds the other one. Yeah, it makes sense. And you guys are involved in the build to rent as well. How do you like that sector? Yeah, you know, it's a sector that um, hit our radar a couple of years ago. Um, obviously, you read a lot of headlines about it. And, uh, you know, it's very much in favor. Um, but, you know, we have a couple deals going right now in Charleston and a bunch more in our pipeline. We find it to be really interesting. Um, what, what size are these deals? Acreage or units? You know, acreage depends because we'll, you know, we'll look at sort of attached townhomes or mm -hmm. detached single family homes. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, we're talking between, let's call it 50 and 200 units. Mm -hmm. So pretty that's, good size. That's probably one of the biggest challenges of that particular sector. There's a lot of very large groups that want to put a lot of money to work in the single family rental space. And a lot of the sites that we see are 30, 40 units. So yeah. you have to be the one to go in and, and build it and kind of aggregate a handful of these before you really get a lot of interest from the larger players. Yeah. And, you know, we have a group that sells multifamily. We've helped some folks exit those properties and they exit as apartments is. But you know, as cycles change over time, you guys got a long history in this business. I remember when, you know, people did not sell uh, apartments as apartments. They sold them as condos, right? They can make more money. On the on the build to rent opportunities, do you foresee that there would always be just the exit as as, as an investment sale or might they be sold individually? Yeah, we, we look at sites with optionality. Um, mm -hmm. We have a couple of those on our books right now mm -hmm. where, you know, when we bought uh, the sites a couple of years ago, you know, and we're going through the permitting and entitlement process, we kind of said, well, it could kind of go either way. The housing market here is strong. The rental market here is strong. You know, what would we rather do? Uh, always is a long time. As you said, people sold condos as apartments. Now people sell, you know, uh, or apartments as condos. Now they sell them as apartments. Um, you know, I think from our standpoint, what's really changed is, you know, the single family housing business has changed a lot over the last, obviously, since the GFC. But obviously in the last couple of years as well, or in the last couple of months even as well, you know, mortgage rates have gone up, you know, by more than double in a lot of cases. Um, and, you know, there's sort of a cohort of millennials that are in their 30s and, you know, young 40s that maybe have lived in urban apartments for a long time. Mm -hmm. And they're starting to settle down maybe later than they did in previous generations, but with mortgage rates above 7% and, you know, down payments, what they are, and the resale market for existing homes being as tight as it is, because there are a lot of folks that are locked into two and a half and three percent mortgages, they have nowhere to go, so they're not going to sell their home. We sort of think that this asset class really brings a solution to people who are settling down, having children, um, you know, and need a house with a yard, and you know, sort of want to live that part of, you know, the American lifestyle. There is also a cohort of people who are on the older end, uh, you know, grandparents and people like that who maybe want to get out of their house and want to have a lock and leave lifestyle. And so I think we would plan to pursue, you know, projects that sort of hit both ends of that barbell. That makes a lot of sense. And uh, what are you seeing for construction costs and materials and labor these days? Are, are you seeing that still <laughs> problematic? Yeah. <laughs> um, I would say less problematic these days than it has been. Um, I, I keep asking our development group if costs are coming down. I keep getting laughed at, unfortunately, <laughs> which is which is the the sad reality. But you know, not I as think hard as before. They're not as hard as before. Yeah. Um, 
but I mean, I think the reality is they're they're really stabilizing now, and and that's that's a huge positive given where we came from. So the last it feels like two or three years, really since COVID, it felt like everything that we got a bid on in every budget that we saw, there was a, a couple of items that were very out of whack, and I think. Yeah, that's something that was, it got a lot of press around the lumber pricing going, you know, four or five times the normal pricing and steel prices doubling, things like that. But, you know, I think there were there were kind of constant issues and constant trades that we saw that would be double what their normal, you know, historical averages were. So, um, you know, now I think it's, it's leveling out. It's probably 30 to 35% above pre-COVID levels. So that's still an 8% annual increase. So construction costs are still elevated, but we're seeing them at least stabilize out. We're not seeing massive month over month increases. Contractors are holding their prices for longer, which was a big issue for a while where they would give you a price and say this is good for 30 days or less. And now at least they feel confident enough in the, you know, volatility dropping down that they're able to say, you know, hold that price for a little bit longer. Is your expectation that with the higher interest rates where you mentioned some new development deals aren't penciling out that maybe construction costs come down. So if you're doing a, a rezoning today and you're trying to pencil out construction costs, what what are you putting for increases on that? That's why I keep asking. You know, <laughs> I, I think that's the. I, I think what what we're seeing one of the main things that we look at for mm -hmm. construction pricing is the the subcontractors backlog. So mm -hmm. I think when we look at projects, a lot of the projects that we're looking at now are probably we're not putting a shovel on the ground for eight or nine months. It's it's pretty pretty far out there in the future, and then it's gonna be a two-year build period. So our, our kind of view out into the future is two to three years. A lot of general contractors, I mean, we would bring them on before we start that project, so they're looking a couple years out in the future. Hmm. Subcontractors usually don't have that long of a view. So I think, you know, what we saw in the last couple of years, the, the peak was the backlog for subcontractors was about 14 months. Now it's about eight, which is still a healthy number. It's still, you know, I would say, I'm not sure if it's above average, but it's still, I would say, a healthy number. So, you know, at that point, a lot of subcontractors aren't really feeling pressure to bring their prices down. And, you know, that's really what builds up to the overall construction cost. So uh, right now, like I said, it's leveling out, which is good. I think over the next couple of months, we haven't seen a lot of stuff start over the last couple of quarters. I think, you know, a lot of the market data we see supports that even areas like industrial that are extremely hot it's it was very slow in terms of new starts over the last few quarters so i would i would hope that it comes down yeah. but i i don't want to make that prediction and be just dead wrong <laughs> but i would say one other thing that we saw especially in the last couple of years is we'd start looking at a new project and we'd call subs and gcs that we know really well or even civil engineers in some cases and they would say guys i'm sorry we're just too busy to bid on that project right now yeah. You know, we've got too many things going on and, and all of that. That's calmed down. I mean, yeah. you know, now if we make a call to folks we know and like and have done business with before, you know, they'll bid on it for us yeah. um, because they're just not as crazed as they were over the last few years. Yeah. Well, we were yeah. to, we've, we've been getting some phone calls, which, you know, before you were lucky if you got somebody on the phone to answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now you're, it's coming the other some way. Equilibrium which is good. in the market right. a little bit. Yeah. Well, you guys have a long history holder in the office world, and I think that's one of the more interesting sectors uh, today of, with all the changes going on there. You mentioned you know, new construction leveling off. We're seeing some office buildings get demolished, and we're seeing some get converted to other uses. Um, we're hearing people out there saying, oh, the man may, may pick up uh, in 2024. Then we're hearing folks who are saying, no, it's going to be years and years and years and years, and no one wants office anymore. <laughs> What do you expect for the future of office? 
Yeah, I, I think you nailed it. I mean, you know, there's a lot of national headlines out there that paint the whole market with a broad brush. And I, I just don't think that's, I think collectively, we don't think that's particularly helpful. Um, we take sort of the opposite approach. Um, we look at sort of a bottoms up analysis of every building we look at. Because, you know, if you think about it, you know, there's a whole country and then, you know, there are different regions that are, that have completely different sort of cultural practices around work from home. And then there are different, you know, metros within those regions. So we primarily focus in the Southeast in the major markets. Even those are a little bit different based on their industry makeup. Then you get down to the, you know, sub markets themselves and then the building itself. And I think what we have seen, you made a point. There are a lot of, you know, buildings that are being demolished, repurposed, you know, all of those things. But what we think is that there's just going to be a very distinct, you know, cut, and it hasn't happened exactly yet, but we're starting to kind of know it when we see it, of winners, buildings that should be office buildings, and I think they're taking the lion's share of the demand currently, and will continue to in the future, and losers that are functionally obsolete, that don't really have a place in today's office market, don't really add any value over and above what somebody can get working in their home office. I think the winners are those that provide something that the home office can't. So it's more of a differentiated product situation. Yeah, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And you're dealing primarily in large Southeast markets, which have been pretty popular and, and had good growth, right? So do you expect demand to increase uh, for those in those markets overall sooner, later? You know, I, I don't know about timing. Um, uh, you know, what I do know I've is, got a crystal ball if you need it. Yeah, well, I'll, can I take that home with me? That'd be great. <laughs> no, I, I don't know about timing, but what yeah. I do know is what's in our portfolio now. Yeah. Um, you know, our portfolio has gotten, on the office side, has gotten relatively small. Mm -hmm. um, in the last few years, it was much bigger in, you know, 16, 17, 18. And mm -hmm. just by happenstance, it was sort of time to sell assets mm -hmm. over, you know, the last few years. Um, you know, but what is in our portfolio now, I think as sort of COVID raged and the work from home debate was really heating up and it's obviously still a debate, but you know, we were, at least I will tell you, I was up at night thinking we'd never sign another office lease ever again. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and what we have actually found is we've been positively surprised by the leasing velocity that we have seen. Um, you know, we own a building in Charleston um, on Daniel Island, which is, you know, a suburb about 15 minutes away. Um, you know, we bought in 2019 a 2000 vintage or late 90s vintage um, office building that was the corporate headquarters for a large public company. They moved out. You know, we you know sort of facilitated that, um, and then we completely redesigned the building. You know, to sort of 2023 standards. You know, super amenity base. You know, sort of everything you would want: concierge, hospitality, and we delivered that building. You know, in December of last year, and since then, have signed 110,000 feet of leases. Um, in a you know 180,000 foot building in nine months, um, and those are all above our net effective rents that we underwrote. And again, you know there there are good stories and there are bad stories in office. That's why we think that there should be a bottoms up approach because that's a building that just happens to be winning, but there are others that happen to be losing. And you know our job when we're buying them, when we're buying office buildings, is to really take a really close look at what's going to win in our mind. Yeah, well, that makes sense. And we've had a similar experience. I mean. <laughs> Even in our Peachtree Corners deal that we that we bought here not that long ago, um, yeah, we've had that for a year and a half now, and we've been able to push rate a little bit, which has been nice, and we moved the needle from about eighty percent occupancy to the mid nineties. So, I mean, we've seen some positive leasing velocity, like Will said, on on the winners, and you know, I think it's, I feel like our prospect list is probably shorter overall, but if you have one of the buildings that is a winner and you get creative on 
how to structure deals and make sure you understand what the tenants want, often you know you can still get some positive leasing velocity in, in today's environment. Overall, trend-wise, are you seeing um, tenants asking for shorter leases or or smaller square footage than they were using? Or I think we're definitely seeing uh, uh, both of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, it really depends on the tenant, but yes, yeah. you're you're right. And I think what becomes challenging about that, and I think the interesting thing is, is in the office world what everybody, you know, you read national press, you know, what they're talking about is return to office, return to office, return to office. It's, you know, part of the discussion, but it's not the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I think when you, you know, when you really start to look at, you know, the fundamentals of the office business, you know, I don't think 100% of, you know, pre-COVID folks are going to return to office. I think the market is, you know, generally, you know, the investment market is generally assuming nobody ever goes back to the office. We're more constructive than that. Mm-hmm. Um and we're trying to be, you know, sort of rational optimists in the sector. But I think your point about shorter lease terms mm-hmm. um, and you know smaller square footage, what that has done to the office business over the last few years, I think in some ways has been just as profound as you know the sort of work from home debate. You know, we used to be able to own an office building, you know, before COVID, sign tenant improvement packages of thirty or forty, you know, bucks a foot, with the tenant investing everything, you know, above that in their space on a long lease. Mm-hmm. The payback period, you know, just in terms of what they were paying in rent and what we were paying in operating expenses, you know, the payback period is one or two years. It was a great deal for office landlords. Um, and that was even more true, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. Now, those same, you know, tenants come to us. Maybe they need smaller square footage or maybe they need a slightly shorter term. But, you know, what we are seeing is they're they're effectively telling us, we'd love to come to your building. You need to give us a whole lot more in TI. So that 30 or $40 has become 80 and in some cases you know I've heard market in markets like New York to $300 a foot but let's focus on where we are you know your payback period becomes 5 6 years and it becomes a whole lot less attractive so to us I think what that means overall is that you know the office business needs to be repriced in order to sort of generate you know positive stable cash flow for owners yeah. you know what's happened in the last few years is you sign a bunch of leases you know you get good cash flow and then you have to spend a ton of incremental capital to lease the building back up. Yeah. And that, to us, is probably the most profound issue in the office space. Yeah, yeah I think that's that's probably a big part of it because a lot of people focus on kind of overall occupancy or occupancy of a building and the, the face rate. And in a lot of cases, we're able to push the face rate. That's not a huge problem. And, you know, if you can get creative, like I said, you can you can sign the tenants that are out there, but the, the biggest issue, like Will said, has become kind of the overall cost of building out space. Yeah. Because when the market gets competitive and somebody wants their perfect space, and ultimately that's gonna cost $80 a foot, when we expected a couple of years ago, we'd be giving out $30 a foot, that it just, it drops the net effective rent a ton. And it, yeah. it definitely, it sort of hurts from that perspective. But yeah, the headline numbers, the the overall rate and, you know, the term and a lot of times, you know, getting the occupancy up, those could look fine, but it's really the the TIs are, are pretty painful. Yeah. As you guys are operating these properties and, and doing new developments, obviously interest rates have increased a lot in the last year and a half or so. Uh, how is that impacting your business? What are you seeing out there from your desk? Yeah, I think, you know, obviously it's impacting everybody. Mm-hmm. Nobody nobody can hide from the Fed. Yeah. Um, I wish we could sometimes, but we can't. Yeah. Um, I think from our desk, what we're seeing is things just aren't penciling quite as, you know, often mm-hmm. as they were. Um, you know, obviously there are issues with banks and being less willing to lend, mm-hmm. not, you know, on all property types, just because they're dealing with the fact that loans haven't been paying off the, at the pace they expected to recycle their capital. 
into new projects. But, you know, overall, I think we read a stat recently that, you know, transaction volume, which isn't, you know, necessarily new developments, but, you know, is down 70 to 80% sort of across all property types, you know, year over year. That tells you a lot about sort of what's happening out there. Um, So, you know, we're busy on, you know, a few projects that we've kicked off, um, you know, in the last six to nine months, and we're very happy about that. But I also think it's going to just kind of take a while for people to, you know, get used to the new reality. And I don't know where rates are going to go. I don't know if Robert does, but yeah, I mean, I think we, we've been lucky the last couple of years that we ultimately did hedge most of our interest rate exposure. I think we just kind of took the view that we're not—that's not our profession. We shouldn't be predicting interest rates. So mm-hmm. why, you know, why why take that into account, or why make that a big driver of the returns of our projects? So, you know, most of our stuff is hedged. But ultimately, when we look into the market, it it does feel like, you know, office over the last couple of years has not over the last couple of years, over the last year, really, year and a half, has been, you know, facing facing certainly some challenges on the valuation side. But a lot of the other property types that are seeing huge rent growth were, were really doing fine. The rent growth was kind of outpacing the, you know, interest rate rise. So ultimately, the values were somewhat flat. But it does feel like recently, a lot of the stuff that we're seeing, the guidance pricing is ultimately, you know, the, the place where it trades is a little bit below, even on some of the sectors that are more popular. So, you know, it does seem like the interest rate piece is starting to really get to a lot of people as rents are kind of flattening out and interest rates are still elevated. Yeah, good point. We're, we're dealing, I uh, represent some tenants who are leasing space and, and buying buildings. And it's interesting because they have a little more options of properties they can buy, right? right? And, and a little bit lower prices and basis. So it seems to be an interesting time. What tips would you give uh, companies and, and company leaders today uh, about uh, the office market uh, as far as uh, timing or tips for, for dealing in this market? I mean, I think the way that we're approaching it is just to be actively in the market. I think, you know, a lot of people just want feedback on what people are thinking of pricing. I think a lot of the brokers are getting a pretty wide range of feedback, quite honestly. And I think you know, a lot of a lot of that in many cases is driving trades not happening at all. But I think, you know, we've just continued to participate in the market, continue to talk to equity groups and people that we would partner with on these to understand, you know, how they're looking at certain deals. Because, mm-hmm. you know, there there is kind of a an easy way, I would say, to go about underwriting a lot of the other property types that are a little bit more stable right now. But office, like Will said, I mean, I think we're looking at a lot of buildings that are obvious winners, obvious, I would say probably losers, and then some in between. And, you know, we have to get pretty creative on how we underwrite those. And I think a lot of the time we're ultimately looking at it like if we were to buy this, let's not assume we can just fix it up and exit in three years. Let's just assume we're going to hold this for a long period of time. And what does that look like on a long term basis and finding partners that are comfortable with that kind of capital? So, yeah, that's that's how we're looking at it. But I think everybody's looking at it differently. And that's what's resulting in a lot of the bids for these office buildings coming in in a very wide range. Are you doing or looking at any potential conversions of office to other uses? We have. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have looked at some. Mm-hmm. You know, that's obviously a very hot topic right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of CBDs, you know, um, or central business districts are really hoping that that works. Um, you know, I think what we have found is it's really a sniper shot on which ones work. Um, you know, what we are seeing more of, frankly, is buildings that are being demolished, like the point you earlier made. Um, you know, I think the conversion requires a very specific footprint, you know, requires very specific building depths um, so that, you know, the units aren't so deep that, you know, you could be at your front door and not see a window for, you know, 
a very long time. Bowling um, alley. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You could live in a bowling alley, but um, we are we are seeing them, and I know that um, some of the really kind of smart global architecture firms have started to really almost systematize, you know, how they score whether or not uh, a building will work for a conversion. But what we are seeing more of is the sort of obsolete buildings um, on the office side that you know may be on ten acres, you know, in a good you know high quality suburb you know, trading to be demolished to become something else. Right. Townhomes, you know, multifamily, whatever, retail um, in some cases. Right. Well, you guys do medical office and that's mm -hmm. sort of an obvious transition for the office buildings that make sense that are near yeah. some of these medical nodes. I mean, medical office continues to be very popular and, you know, based on sort of the size of a building and where it's located, that's a much easier conversion. But like Will said, the residential ones, it's just so specific to the individual building and the floor plate to make sure you're not creating some very funky units. Um, mm -hmm. But I think we've looked at it in a number of different ways. Some of the pricing that we've seen on office buildings, we looked at office to self storage conversion at some point in time in the past, which yeah. didn't didn't work out. <laughs> yeah. Just didn't pencil out, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. that's interesting. Well, let's let's finish the show and get your uh, view on industrial real estate. Um, what do you see for the future there? Yeah. Um, so industrial is a space we like a lot. Mm -hmm. um, we've spent a lot of time on it, um, you know, in the last couple of years. I think, you know, our view is that in the long, medium and long term, you know, there are drivers that are going to give it really kind of strong, steady demand growth um, over a long period of time. Maybe, you know, across the country, but, you know, we focus primarily on the southeast. Um, you know, what you're seeing is the ports in the southeast growing exponentially and really working to expand and improve their ports. So that's, you know, Charleston and Savannah. Um, we see reshoring of, you know, sort of manufacturing and, and the supply chain after the post-COVID craziness and maybe some of the geopolitics um, with China. You know, we're starting to see that happen in Georgia, you know, for example, with all the new EV and battery, you know, manufacturing plants that are popping up. Um, and then the third is, you know, maybe the most obvious one, but it's just sort of the rise in growth of e-commerce. So those are very big tailwinds that we think will continue over time. Um, that said, you know, the last couple of years during COVID were wild. Um, you know, the amount of space that was delivered, the amount of leasing that occurred, the amount of rent growth that occurred, you know, it was a bonanza. Um, and so I think what we will see is a slowdown, you know, for a period of time, but ultimately the demand will, will catch up. And, you know, that's where, you know, we hope to be to, to fill it. Um, you know, I think a good example is in Atlanta, which is the fourth largest industrial market in the country. There were no starts in Q2. I think Robert may have already said that. You know, that was unthinkable, you know, a year ago. Um, but because the build period on those kinds of projects are, you know, much shorter than a multifamily tower or an office tower or whatever, you know, you may see some supply start to come back and capture, you know, those demand, uh, those demand drivers. Yeah. Yeah. I, th I mean, it's, it's nice that being in the southeast the rents here are notably lower than a lot of other places in the country so mm -hmm. a lot of these national groups that are looking to lease when they see the rates in the southeast even if we moved them from eight dollars to nine dollars which seems like a huge increase to them mm -hmm. you know nine dollars sounds great so right. i i think you know being in the southeast with with all the port growth and everything else has been a huge driver and then just the lower cost down here is, is actually very helpful for that that area too but like Will said, there's been a lot of supply, but the supply, I think, is moving the needle from 97% or some you know crazy occupancy number down to maybe 94 at worst. So it's still a very healthy market, uh, even once you take that supply into account. So you know, yeah. construction slowing down and, and demand still accelerating. It's definitely definitely yeah. an area we want to be in. 
All right. Well, good points, gentlemen. Thanks for being on the show. Great thank information. You. Thank you very All much, right. Michael. Appreciate All right. it. And thank you for joining us around the country. Please let us know what you think. Uh, please share the show. Hey, and reach out to us if you have any questions or ideas. You can reach me directly. My email is michael at bullrealty.com. Until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh. And join us for America's Commercial Real Estate Show. America's Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty. For commercial brokerage sales and leasing in the Southeast U.S., contact our show host by email at michael at bullrealty.com. By Commercial Agent Success Strategies, 21 incredible one-hour agent training videos. Learn more at commercialagentsuccess.com. By C5 CCIM Summit, three days of commercial real estate networking, learning, and investing. Learn more and register at c5summit.realestate. And by Lumet. For senior housing, healthcare, and multifamily financing, visit lumet.com. For more podcasts and videos, subscribe and visit CREshow.com.